And we're live with our 226th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on X, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on X. Seth, say hi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. Happy to be back as always. Um, you'll notice it's just Ken and I today. Uh, that's... Uh, yeah, it's a good thing, right? Like we we've had um, a number of guests on over the last few weeks, but have decided to go back talk about some news. There's a lot that we haven't necessarily addressed that's been going on both in the Slack channel, both in the wider industry at large, and the fact that it's Q4, right? Like we can always get into that. Um, but we're excited to just just chat in general. Um, we did get uh, notification on the, you know, the training front that we will be teaching at um, DEF CON again uh, next year, right? Like that's months and months away. But if you are interested, watch the training.defcon.org site or watch our social media uh, accounts for more information. Um, we'd love to see people there. And we do have another, a couple conferences coming up that we've submitted to. As always, if you have a conference where you would like to see us or if you're interested in the training, um, reach out and let us know. We'd love to put something together. I know there's been we've had some discussions about putting together an independent course at some point as well, um, just for those that are interested in different locations across the U.S. Um, since there hasn't been as many opportunities that have popped up in the last few months. Um, outside of that, I did want to give a shout out to Redpoint uh, for sponsoring, as usual. Thanks to them. Uh, they specialize in code security for coders, bolstered by years of experience testing applications, conducting secure code reviews, and, and um, training, right? Uh, they help ground your team in better security practices across the development life cycle. So check out redpointsecurity.com for more information and put your company on a path to better security. Um, yeah, so Redpoint Dry Run as well, right? Like we, we need to get some copy from Dry Run there, Ken, you know, especially now oh. that you guys are in beta. And um, I think everybody knows like, like Redpoint and Dry Run are you and I. So there you go. What? Well, we've been in private beta where it's a very oh, I select, guess that's true. artisanally handcrafted. <laughs> no, so, but what's funny is next week we are going to come out of beta or oh. out of private beta and we're just going to go beta. Just anybody awesome. can sign up. Congrats, and we'll, man. Thank you. It'll be gated, of course. We'll we'll review who's submitting, but then we'll just approve people through. What's nice about that is this gets me to the point where I can actually show our podcast viewers what I've been working about, working working yeah. about, working on. <laughs> I could, again, if I could speak uh, good words. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to actually show people because it's been like, you know, not quite a year, but almost a year of my life now at this point. Um, you know, finding the right way to approach software security in today's modern age, which I know is like actually kind of pivots into our first topic. Um, yes, it does. It does. How security reviews, security which reviews. Yeah. is a yeah. good topic to, to chat with, but yeah, well, man, well, I'm just excited. Cause yeah, no, I like, I, I think just to finish that thought, yeah, I just think it's, it's nice when you can work on something that you're actually trying to help people. I mean, <clears throat> in a way that, hasn't been done yet. Um, and yeah, that, that makes me excited to share. So anyways, I'm, mu I'm much more, I'm much closer and I really can't talk. I'm much closer to actually being able to show stuff. So that's really exciting. Also, like I didn't get a ton of sleep last night, full disclosure. So that's probably yeah. why. 
Well, like I, I mean, I think it'll be mind. interesting as well to discuss, like once you're in, you know, you're in beta and we, we talk about the product, but we can talk about the, the evolution of getting to that, right? Like what you guys have decided to concentrate on, because I know behind the scenes, like the discussions that you and I have had about the different avenues and, you know, places that you've gone down, like the different side quests, right? Um, or, you know, rabbit holes of, hey, what are clients, what are people looking for? What are you interested in? How do we address that? Um, would be a really interesting discussion because I know some of the, you know, some of the, you know, the avenues like the dead, dead, dead avenues that you went down or the side quests that you went on that didn't necessarily equate to anything are still really interesting, like research projects, right? Um, as far as, and, and, you know, it would be, it would be a good discussion to have once we, once you are to that point and, you know, want to talk about it. Yeah, our first iteration of the product, we will uh, actually do plan on releasing as open source just because we kind of said, okay, that's not really the way people want to accomplish this. But back to the yeah. security views, I mean, honestly, a lot of a lot of what I what I and James talked about, you know, kind of comes from. So, like, let me explain real quick our process when I was at GitHub for security reviews before we even discuss security reviews. And this is okay. and the reason I'm saying this at GitHub, because, like, I feel like that's a pretty modern AppSec you know, team and, and approach. Um, and so, okay, so let's talk about the process and at what size, right? Remember I was there, I mean, you remember this, but for everybody else, I was there for almost six years. So I was there pre and post acquisition of Microsoft. So I was there small and a much larger size of GitHub, right? So when it was uh, hundreds of people, you know, not, not a huge team, um, Security reviews are pretty much like, hey, if it's in scope, we had kind of our requirements for what's in scope. Uh, go put put it put in a security review request. Um, different teams from within security will reach out to you uh, for various reasons. So we've got like platform health kind of people for spam and abuse and stuff like that. You've got your network security people, SecOps. You've got your uh, AppSec people and ProdSec people. Um, a couple other groups, whatever, right? And they all take a look at it. And within some period of time that's not really specified and it's kind of based off of, you know, volunteering every week hours to put into reviewing these requests, uh, somebody will have some comments of some level of help or not. Um, and then at the end of it, you kind of, and it's an issue, right? You open an issue in this repo and then people give their feedback and then you kind of just check that your team's done in a, in a literal markdown checkbox and, you go on and it's closed eventually, right? Um, you can imagine when it was thousands of people <laughs> that did not scale very well. There were some solutions, um, solutions to that problem, such as having like this uh, questionnaire that you you fill out and then it gets graded via GitHub Action and then a risk score is produced. Um, and then that gives some level of prioritization with some reminder bots of like, hey, you know, you're past SLA X team because you didn't respond. Um, so things got efficient efficiency wise of handling those a little bit better, but not really enough to be much of a, a game changer. And I, I know that GitHub is uh, working on something to really uh, make that process better internally. So that's not really why I'm bringing this up. What I am saying is that uh, that was how it worked, but here's where some of the gaps were, right? So the gaps that we found were that some of the most impactful changes, the things that really scared us, the things that led to like high paying bounties, most of the time those occurred in seemingly seemingly innocuous uh, pull requests rather than huge security reviews, right? Because 
a security review of a feature change is like a cluster of code changes, many code changes. And it's more of a, you know, we're not really getting necessarily, I guess in some cases, sure, you're reviewing the individual code bits, but most of the time uh, it's really just sort of like big picture, here's sort of what we're building. Um, if we had to list out every single commit, that would be very difficult, but uh, here are the most impactful PRs related to this change, maybe, right? So all that stuff's pretty helpful to a degree, but at the end of the day, like these changes that are actually causing us $20,000, $25,000 worth of bug bounties and causing all this internal cert churn and effort, uh, incident response stuff, right? Uh, all of that stuff just happens in these like tiny PRs that are never being seen as a security review. So then it becomes a question of, well, what is the purpose of a security review? And that becomes a much more complex uh, question to answer. I think one of the things that um, would have been nice was, and, and, I, and this was one of the goals that we had stated like long-term at GitHub we would love to do is actually, you know, taking into account the risk score of a service in a service catalog and then saying like, okay, well, you're making changes against this service in the service catalog. Um, maybe the feature is not a huge, like it doesn't like set off any bells for us, but that service does, right? St stuff like that, like taking into yeah. account other data points. But again, really what it comes down to is like, changes are occurring all day long. If you don't have, so and what's our solution to that? Security champions, hopefully security champions, we'll see one of the 300 PRs coming across that might introduce risk and they'll catch the right one, right? using what? Uh, Dependabot, your code scanning, um, like uh, SaaS tools, whatever. That's kind of your, your canary in the coal mine, right? All right. So that's today's picture uh, for me. I think there were a lot of other issues that I could, that I could talk about. Uh, you know, the length of time it takes to get through one of those processes, the uncertainty of where you're at and what that means for shipping. Um, there, I could go off forever on all of the, yep. the various issues, and I, I think we probably will. But anyways, that's that's a background for a practical, for how we practically applied security reviews at at GitHub. Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think that is, I mean, that's very similar to what Frank has in that article that we posted, right? Like, um, Frank was a guest on the podcast, uh, you know, a few months ago as well. Um, got a lot of good opinions and got a lot of good takes, um, and. I, I mean, he's he's framing security reviews very, in a very similar manner, right? Uh, the security review is done by an independent team, usually a security team, um, doesn't scale well. Uh, it it goes against the principles of what we consider to be, you know, shifting left um, because it is taking developers out of their development cycle to actually look at the code. It very much follows a waterfall methodology. Um, you know, when he, he points out, you know, a number of different items there, um, hence the reason that, you know, his, in, you know, inflammatory, like title to the, to the blog post is actually, let's get rid of security reviews. Um, it's probably more apt to say, let's change our perception of security reviews and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I say this even as an independent third party, right? A consultant that's coming in. Most of the reviews that I do are very much in this vein um, because it's outside of the normal scope of what a developer is dealing with and what they are doing. And we try to insert ourselves into that process as much as possible. We make it asynchronous. We submit to like their, you know, uh, 
you know, we create issues within a Git repository or whatever it is with the findings themselves. So it's, it's, it's in their normal like workflow, but it is still separate from their day-to-day and what they actually do and the risks that we, that we see. Um, we're only, we're very limited in scope. So similar to what you're seeing or what you saw at GitHub where, oh, we know that we're like touching authentication and that's a huge thing. Why don't you come and review that? Hey, that's great, but that has so many eyes on it that most of the time that's not where the interesting vulnerabilities are found. The bug bounty guys find it in this like small service over here that's posting data and allowing for insertion of XML or whatever it is. And you've got serialization flaws that happen over in some like little tiny service that you thought had no threat. And I think that's what you were saying, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. I, yeah, it's like right here, he talks about it being like later and missing mm-hmm. the, the, the the contextual bits. So the solution became, no, like do that from the, the pretty much the moment that you like reach out anyways and open a, a review. The second you know that you're going to build something, which is, let me tell you something. In an organization of any meaningful size of engineering, like getting getting a concrete, we are definitely building this in this timeline. It's almost, or at least maybe in that culture, I don't know, but maybe it was just that culture. I, I don't know. But what I found was uh, you basically once the, the application started being written, higher odds that would actually be delivered or the feature or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Um, before it's written, maybe, maybe not, right? And then, so the solution was, if you did come in really early, cool, we would attach, we would have some sort of tracking issue for you, right? Um, meaning like, not the main security review tracking issue. That would be the main one that would branch off into all these various places, which is another problem too, right? Like the bookkeeping aspect of all of this, that's a frustrating thing in and of itself. Um, but each team, and this is why, each team would have their own separate tracking thing that would relate back to that main tracking thing, that issue. And so then you would say, okay, well, I'm going to assign so-and-so to be maybe, like if it's a very large feature or a very new a- a- or a-, a brand new application, I'm going to assign this person to be sort of their liaison from the security team. Uh, sounds great in theory, but over time, like you end up with resource issues. People may uh, have vacations and and be out. Um, and also there's just this need to then constantly check in on, on those folks. And that can be, that can be fine. It can work, especially for very large projects. Usually we'll actually embed a person with them. That's different. But when you're tracking multiple projects, it just becomes sort of a like out. Uh, a reward to like output, right? And, and it gets a little off balance. Um, but that's that's for the lucky projects. Most of the projects just end up getting tracked in a way that it's like, yeah, we know this thing's happening. Occasionally we should check in and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, l- look at if, you know, hey, maybe we need to do a threat model uh, discussion. Maybe we need to do something else. Uh, maybe get with our uh, paved path people and see if there's any paved paths you need to implement into your design. Like there's all kinds of things that you do, but all of it's very human uh, resource intensive and also very difficult to track. So like as an auditor, if you if you write down that you're doing something, I'm going to audit you to make sure that you're doing that thing. And if any of your documentation isn't up to snuff and I can pick any amount of samples from wherever uh, that's within scope, 
you have to provide concrete evidence that everything that you said you do is done. And that's, so there's just a, I mean, it, it becomes so much work and overhead that it's like, is this actually worth it? What are we trying to really accomplish here? And I think what we're really trying to accomplish is awareness and being involved in the uh, design aspects of this. And then as changes occur, you know, that's the other part is having some level of visibility into some major changes. The problem is, again, major changes don't always, aren't always, and in our case, often weren't the real thing that was introducing a vulnerability it was some minor change that, you know, to some authorization related file or some configuration and setting or, you know, some additional case statement and some existing logical conditional, you know, yeah. a set of operators, whatever it is. Lots of other markers for risk other than this, this kind of way of handling it. Yeah. And I mean, it, part of it goes back to just like a recognition of what the risk of the risk of changes are, right. And being able to track that. I think that was the point that you were making. And I, I think Frank's getting it to that as well, right. Like having partners to actually, you know, we think of security review as this like point in time assessment that happens, like it's kind of a gate um, when realistically in a secure organization, even, you know, even like GitHub, there's so many touch points for security and we're trying to partner with the development organization and make like security champions, security engineers that aren't like part of the security team in order to um, in order to make security a feature rather than a, you know, a separate process. And then having the security organization almost just be the auditors to make sure that process is happening and make sure that people are aware of what's going on. Um, but without that recognition of what the threat actually is, we have a tendency to focus, uh, to your point, on the wrong thing, right? Like um, something that has hundreds of eyes on it. Yes, that's, you know, it's important that we analyze it. But it's almost like we need to start dumping um, metadata. And I mean, this this kind of feeds into what you're doing over at Dry Run, right? But, you know, we've got to feed the metadata around the development process and what's going on with specific developers, specific code, specific, um, you know, features and analyze that for threat as opposed to just like your traditional, hey, we know that this is public, so we're going to have a security review done on it. Or like that's only one point of data that tells us whether or not something is risky. And we have a tendency to ignore, like I said, the rest of that. Um, and I mean, I, I get that it's hard to understand everything and have the context of the full application as it sits in production or what the code is actually doing. Uh, but we've got to get to that point. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have this problem. I think his idea of a security checklist is great for... Um... Because like there, you know, we always say there's no silver bullet. So you have to do a lot of, and that's totally true. You have to do a lot of different things. The security checklist is great because it at least gives you a minimum hygiene things. Also, you could say that like for, for us at GitHub, you know, part of that checklist was like, did, do you have CodeQL turned on? Do you have DependentBot turned on? Do you have Sentinel turned on? Do you have all these other things that we need enabled and running and giving us alerts and producing what we, what we need? So it's good. We have some minimal um, kind of, baseline stuff. And that definitely helps prevent some level of, of the, the stupid kind of stuff from happening. At least you, you hope, right? Um, I, I say stupid. I don't really mean stupid. I just mean like simple, simple, simple and preventable things. Uh, 
But again, it does not get down to the real meat of what ends up causing vulnerabilities. Um, I feel like this is sort of uh, on an organization, uh, per organization basis even, right? Like I don't think the types of vulns that say um, GitHub or a uh, Twilio versus, um, you know, say like a GE or someone else who's producing some apps, you know, and it has nothing to do with with any, it's like each company is going to have its own set of things that are common, commonly introduced, right, as like significant vulnerabilities. It might be like, we do a lot of XML over here. So we have all kinds of XML related stuff that pops in, which is, I know, one of our potential topics for today, RC and XML, but XML yeah. parsing. But, um, you know, over here, maybe it's like, hey, whenever someone touches the REST API, we end up having some authorization related issues. Uh, somewhere else, it might be like, hey, we do a lot of SQL operations and, uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, that's where we seem to have, have issues. We introduce injection there. So I, who knows, right? And so, like, you kind of have to almost start um, looking for the patterns that are common amongst your... Uh, and it may not even just be organization; it might even be on a per repo basis, right? Like what what repositories yep. like have what are are most commonly found to have what issues, and start building you know checks around that. Um, well, anyways, I, I, there's I mean, probably a million different ways to handle this, but I I think you're really just trying to surface risk, really. Yeah, yeah, you are, and I mean to your. Uh, to your point about patterns and trying to identify what's actually going on with a given application with a given code base, um, right? Like I, I know, I, like I know you're, you know, you're going down the ML route with that and the LLMs to help identify that. I think about, uh, you know, what we do in, you know, code reviews in general or security reviews in general. Um, most of the time, and I, I was actually like complaining to Ken about this pre-show, right? Like. The fact that, you know, we have all these assessments and somebody comes in, there's a mis miscommunication on, a you know, a timeline for when report delivery needs to happen. You know, th that kind of stuff happens all the time. The problem is, like, if it cuts into my assessment time, I have spent, okay, you know, in a traditional, like, code review, you know, say we have four weeks on a code review. The first three weeks of that code review is a lot of establishing what those patterns are for a given organization. Right. Um, and this is one of the things that you'll find with people as they come into the industry. You know, they they assume that the first place, place that they work, that the patterns, the security patterns that are in use or that are that apply to one organization apply to another one. That's never the case. Right. Doesn't matter in, if they're in the same vertical. It doesn't matter if they're both a bank. It doesn't matter if, you know, they've had the same development teams. The, the risks are different per organization. So a lot of the time that I spend is information gathering, pattern gathering, anti-pattern analysis on what it is that I'm looking at and what patterns actually apply, right? A social media company, right? The pattern of, uh, you know, a user enumeration. Maybe that doesn't apply for them because they, sh you know, people share out what their username actually is. Yeah, that 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 is a pattern that has to be recognized. It's fairly easy that it pops up there. Um, but every single time, um, I have to identify what those patterns are. So I was complaining to Ken to, to bring it back together, right? Like is, hey, we have this miscommunication means that I need to deliver the port report two, three, day, three days early. That means that all of this good work that I've done in pattern recognition and analysis and getting to know an application um, almost drops off because 
I don't have necessarily the cycles or the time to apply those uh, that learning and that analysis against the code base just based on you know the workflow of what we've been through doesn't mean that we won't do it but it also means that i'm gonna have to like you know burn the midnight oil to actually make that happen in a way that it should and in q4 that's never a fun thing yeah anyway oh, well yeah when they pull the rug out from underneath you you're just getting to understand the application and you're ready to start really tackling those vulns uh yeah that that's that's got to be it that's that's always a, t a tough thing for sure um i mean we say it over and over again and i would agree uh most of the impactful almost i mean occasionally you get lucky <laughs> i was just telling my son about because he was asking what i do when i was driving to school uh, the other day and I was just telling him, you know, sometimes you get lucky and like within the first five minutes, you find something. I said, but those are few and far between. Most of the time, it's hours of painstaking fundamentals, right? Understanding how it works, getting to 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 really getting to know that application similar to like an engineer that would have to contribute to it um, at that level. That's really hard. So you do that. And then then that's when all the the the, the really fun stuff seems to drop off. But it's always like the very end. And I always laughed, too, because like. Well, not early on, right? Because was you, when you're first building out your methodology, you don't really have a methodology. You're just kind of like, I think this makes sense and whatever, and you're going through this. But it's a little in the beginning. It's a little frustrating because, like, I would find my peers would be like, Oh yeah, like I, you know, first day I found like I think I found this. I think I found that. I think, it, and then three days later they found jack shit. They wasted a bunch of time. I'm glad I didn't pay attention to what they were doing because I would have gone off on that same that same yep. direction being like, let's figure out we can. And it's like, no, like actually just sticking to the plan and kind of learning everything and then analyzing where, where the, the risk probably lies. And then looking for that is usually the, the best way to go. Uh, so mm -hmm. stick to your, but yeah, in the beginning, you don't know that, man, it sucks. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I don't know like how many times and I still have to prevent myself from doing it. I mean, we talk about it in the course quite a bit, like going down those side quests, going down those rabbit holes because, you know, you found something what was most interesting in the last assessment. But again, this goes back to it, right? Like identifying what the patterns and patterns are learning about the application first pays off in spades the last, you know, the last quarter of the assessment as opposed to spinning your wheels for three days or three weeks and then, you know, realizing you didn't do the basics. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, along those lines, I mean, I don't think the security reviews are, are going to go away. I, I think it's just going to change over time. Um, you know, we've already adapted. I mean, we do more nowadays, you know, one of the hot things now is like S bombs and, you know, removing like, software comp composition, like how we're building software, how we're putting it together, what the third parties look like. Um, you know, there's going to be more analysis done in on that, that avenue, but there's also going to be analysis done, you know, across the board on, on, you know, in the code itself, what the patterns are for identifying users, for actually, you know, figuring out how a, a specific company achieves X, Y, and Z and presents their business and presents that functionality, that's all critical to understanding what the security needs to be, right? I guess, you know, all we're talking about is context here, right, Ken? You know, go back to it, your contextual security analysis. 
Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it, it is, it is everything, but no, um, security. Yeah. I mean, and, and going back to the security reviews, what are they really like the benefit besides, besides the awareness bit and, and all that, it's, it's sort of like that change control aspect. I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'd argue there, there to summarize what I think we're both saying is there are a lot of ways to perform change control. And, uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, that shift left idea doesn't mean just like tell us about your stuff earlier. Um, lesson learned, right? Uh, and I say all this like because I actually made all these mistakes before and learned from them. You know, yeah. it's not like this is me saying this as a uh, authoritative like people do this all the time and make all. No, I made these mistakes and I, I learned and saw you know what worked and what didn't and. Uh, so I have a lot to agree with here um, from from Frank. I think, though, if I'm being somewhat cynical, some of this stuff might actually be. Well, it's an article, right? How much can you actually write w without losing people? And you, you have to consider that. Right. So this is not a, a real criticism of Frank. But, you know, I will say that some of these solutions that he gives it get, gets into are a bit. They're kind of like using the term uh, simply or you know, uh, just right. It's like, mm, there, there's going to be a bit to that. That may work. That may not. Um, good example here would be something like, um, uh, having a sister security engine engineering team or embedded security engineers, or, uh, for the middle ground people having this one specifically stuck out to me, like, uh, for situations in the middle, you can embed a security engineer part-time to work with the team or many companies have a security champions program, right? So that's, I already kind of discussed a little bit about what happens when you embed somebody kind of the time with a team that becomes like very resource intensive and things get, it's okay, but it's not, it's okay. It's probably of the options better. The worst one I see though, is the security champions program. And it's only because like, I've seen this firsthand and it, and it really is this like hope and prayer essentially that you're, security champions are going to at least be able to tell you and raise awareness that there is something that that maybe you need to see the problem is that they themselves have to know where that is and there's just too much code changing on a daily basis for them to know i mean if you use them in the capacity of a big like yeah we're going to build something that like i don't know maybe it's like taking a bunch of a user input and rendering it in a certain way, or, you know, Hey, we're going to do file uploads. Okay, cool. Those are things you can definitely tell me about. I could also find that stuff out somewhat myself, you know, and there's definitely tooling around some of that. Um, and maybe I could alert you to that and you could alert me. I, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a tough dilemma there with security champions. You know, you're, you're just asking them to be a more effective version of you yeah. with less cost well, and them in terms of resources and tooling. Yeah, and less and less experience as well, right? Like, well, so right, that, and that's what you yeah. have to make up for with all those other things yeah. is the lack of experience, and we can't give them anything. No, and I, it was interesting. Like, uh, we actually had this discussion at the local like AppSec uh, meetup recently. This last week, we were talking about security champions, and we were talking to um, somebody in an organization who had come up with a novel idea of guess what? Like, I'm not going to be able to replicate my experience across like all of these different development organizations. But what I can do is I can, you know, especially as junior engineers are coming onto the team and they're getting ramped up, 
is I can get them to understand very specific and um, like security controls, right? Like I can be like, hey, why don't you go, you know, document how we use JWTs, right? And just become the expert on that. So you're my eyes and ears for that very specific thing. And then if people come, you know, if you see anything about that or like there's questions on it, you actually are handling first line of support there. So giving them the ability to use their own research and their own um, interest in a specific topic to be the guy for cryptography, for, you know, authorization or whatever it is. Or maybe if it's something bigger, he had identified other things. But instead of trying to replicate a full security engineer, it was, hey, why don't you just go like concentrate on this? Maybe you are building authentication routines right now. Go become the expert on that. And anytime that there's an authentication question, we'll field it together, but maybe you'll start because you already know what it is and you're actually in the code um, instead of trying again to, you know, to, to replicate or to, to create a security engineer as a security champion on every single team. And I think it's working pretty well for them. But again, that's going to be very organization specific on whether or not it'll be successful. I've had successful moments with security champions. I've had some security champions that were incredible that actually raised issues before they went out to prod, specifically at GitHub. And you know what happened with those engineers? They got promoted and they kept getting promoted until they led many, many people. And no longer was this amazing person who is still amazing, but that amazing person finding amazing vulnerabilities ahead of time, that just stopped existing, right? Like they're mm -hmm. valuable people. They know a lot of stuff. They, you know, usually have very curious uh, sort of mindsets. Um, very uh, detail oriented. Of course, those are recipes for for you know um, moving up. So those like and and again though, you, even still, vulnerabilities got introduced. Just happens, yeah. and it's just you're relying on a human being to to kind of be your eyes and ears, and that's fine, and it works sometimes. And to your point, there there are strategies that can be used, and for sure, it's not like the the entire thing's a failure. It's just that it doesn't work, I guess, the way I I see people talk about it, right? Those security champion programs, it doesn't work out so easily. It feels like a sprinkling a little bit of magic on on something that's actually and and you know, it's like, what do we? To your point about experience, what do we usually do? Hey, here's some training. Here's some secure code war warrior training, which I, by the way, love. I'm, I'm I'm not at all saying anything about that, but I'm saying like that's not the same as having, you know, a ton of experience or or, or something along those lines. So, I don't know, man. Uh, that you know, yeah. like I said, there's only so much you can write an article. There's only so many caveats you want to put into things like this. So it's not a criticism necessarily of uh the article overall i agree i think it's just that some of these solutions are in practicality they don't work out as well as we think they do yeah yeah i mean it's easy it's easy to say yeah just set up a security champions program but you know actually having that be effective to your point it is is going to look different for every single org or every single development team that you talk to um, and so it's never as simple as the, you know, the, the bulleted list. Um, but, you know, reach out, see what, it, what works for other people, you know, try. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to do it and try to push those security reviews to be more effective for your org. Cool. Um, so do you want to talk about, we got about like 15 minutes or so left. You want to talk about the, that one um, exploit? Um, yes, I am putting it up on our 
the screen now. So let me know when you can see. Can you see it? Yep, we got it. Perfect. Cool. I'm going to start going through this then. All right. So uh, thank you. Oh, gosh. I want to say it was, I think it was Talos who actually, maybe, maybe it was Talos. I have to look, uh, had sent out this uh, uh, analysis of CB 2023-46214. Basically, RCE and Splunk uh versions uh excuse me essentially says that splunk's enter version below um yeah below 9.0.7 and 9.1.2 in 9.1.2 they introduced the uh the patch there which is what this article sort of focuses on essentially the author who is uh oh gosh sorry i had this name memorized earlier and i've already forgotten nathan um (laughs) it's nathan i don't know i forget the last name but so Nathan's security blog, um, which we have the link for here. And uh, let me put it. Did you already put it in chat? Yeah, I did. I got it. All right. So basically, Nathan took 9.1.1 source code and 9.1.2 and did an analysis on the diff. So this is the diff that you're looking at right here. Essentially, they added this parse XSL file and validate XS uh, and validate uh, function. So what this function does is actually it looks at the namespace and if it has EXSL, it's so hard for me to say this, EXSL, uh, then it essentially raises an exception. You can see that uh, around this line here and it logs. Hey, hey there, Seth. We get some logging, your favorite. Uh, yes. <laughs> and they attach, they, they return essentially this uh, this JSON blob so you can call parse XL. X, oh God, I'm not going to say that. You could call this function and, and find out stuff like, you know, the output. Is it valid? This is the important one. Is it valid uh, XSL and uh, all that fun stuff. So going down to further in this diff, uh, we notice that they uh, now check if it's a valid XS, XSL doc. And if it is, it'll do all the things it was doing essentially before. Um, and otherwise it won't, right? And we'll... Uh, have a 500 uh, response. So the the question becomes, you know, what what is this EXSL namespace? What does it do? There was a 2015 presentation. Um, gosh, I got to pull up their names, but it was some students actually. It was a research paper. Um, let me share this tab instead, real quick, so you can see their names, and then we'll go back. Uh, seems it loads. Emmanuel Dust and hey, do you want to say that last? name i'm sure you know that better seth than i do roland you still with me seth bish goff burger you're just gonna let oh, me just try to sorry i was on say... i was on mute <laughs> bishop burger roland okay Bischofberger. for those that I don't know seth use... speaks german fluently so um i even though this is a uh, switzerland uh meeting i figure that's probably I would say yep, Dutch yep. or yeah, German. Cool. All right. So they have this uh, whole thing and it goes into how do you, it's from 2015 and how do you actually exploit EXSL? What it basically comes down to is that you need to be able to, or actually that you can uh, write to a file. And that's kind of the the weird part here is it becomes a question of if I can write to a file, you know, how do I actually execute? How do, how, how do I actually make that an RCE? You know, so Getting further into it, he starts to play around with uh, a proof of concept. So this proof of concept essentially uh, 
reads this uh, XSLT, uh, does a transform on that file, and uh, he wants to see if it'll allow him to create a, a file. He tries to create a file, Nathan hacked u.txt, and it works. Cool. And what he did was he put an href value of a local file name uh, with a method of text inside the exsl uh, tag. So that's kind of how he exploits it, right? Now he can create a, a file. This is great. Um, I won't bore you with uh, too much here and going into too many of the details. He does some further like analysis of the actual code, uh, the function that that takes the request. So like you know he needs to know the, like the route. The actual route and what methods so it's a get request to you know the sid and the asset or forward slash sid forward slash asset so you're going to pass in some parameters it's like a restful sort of uh, endpoint here um you know a few other details that you can read further down here that are important but basically it tells them how to actually you know format the, the request and also how to configure splunk so that it's actually vulnerable i think you actually need enable search job XSLT to be true in the Splunk config, uh, but by default it is true. Um, so cool. He's got some details on how to actually set format the request and what the conditions are for, for exploiting this. So then what he really how he turns this into an RCE is he goes down to uh what is it? There's a there's actually a, like a, a home yeah, so there's a under Splunk home, there's a forward slash bin forward slash scripts uh directory. Anything written in there can be um, uh, run by the run shell script. Uh, so pipe run shell script uh, and the script name from Splunk. And so when you obviously execute that file, then you can get your reverse shell and you have your remote code execution. Um, so the rest of it's pretty much just him showing sort of how to actually trigger that, um, that file that he's written. Um, kind of see some responses you see this loading there and uh down here he does a netcat uh shell uh and you know run, exploits runs runs it here and points to his uh attacker address and boom's got a reverse shell on splunk so that is in a nutshell um yeah how it works yeah so anything else i should mention there seth or any questions i'm gonna go to the comments here see yeah, I, I, I mean, the biggest thing is like this. This goes back to what what we were kind of talking about previously that the, that exploits happen, right? And software vulnerabilities happen. Um, I mean, Splunk's been around for how long, right? This code that's running in this instance is probably really quite old and has had multiple security reviews done on it. Um, and so, like you know, it you shouldn't be surprised when new things pop up when new analysis pops up um and I, I was trying to remember you know on his post here he's doing the this analysis he did this after the fact after patch it or actually after splunk had released the patch correct i remember right yeah now. yes so this is post splunk uh acknowledging that they have the RC putting out the CV and posting the patch or like updating with the patch version. Yeah. Okay. So he got a hold of the patch version. Yeah. To, to, to yeah. do this analysis. To do the, the analysis between the, the two different. And that that's what I love is like actually looking in the source code review. We don't get a lot of this um, because a lot of the, you know, a lot of patches that go out, especially for, you know, 
Mac OS or for Windows or whatever, like most services, we're talking about binary patches. It's a lot harder to actually pull this apart without, you know, being a, a binary expert. So the fact that we're looking at Python in this case um, is fairly interesting to actually see what's going on. And it's a very good kind of story of how the exploits happen, how patches happen. Um, and you know the analysis that you can actually do when you have access to that code and that level of detail uh, for the vulnerability, right? Um, I don't know, right? Like uh, XML is always a dangerous thing. Um, other than that, right? Like I don't know if there's much much else there. Right? I mean, were you surprised by anything in the exploit, like how it actually worked? Not at all. Um, by the way, the last name I believe of Nathan is actually in the URL. That's 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 what I was trying to. That's where I believe I got it oh. from. So that uh, I don't know how to horn Cyric. I don't know how to pronounce that. In any horn case, um, nothing surprising. Like it's just kind of funny to me that an eight-year-old. This is XML is just the gift that keeps on giving. That's the only note I have because it's a 2015 paper on. Oh yeah, you know if you find that something's allowing the XSL tag, like. Okay, cool. Here's how you actually could could exploit that, right? It just cracks me up. Like some of this software, I don't know. Some days it cracks me up. Some days it's, it's not funny at all. But uh, just a bit, depends on it's who's a, being impacted and what what you know my mood. Yeah. But but um, I, I mean, this goes back to information to gathering about about the targeted platform, right? Um, I, I don't know, like we harp, I harp on this so much, and, but most of the vulnerabilities, like the really impactful vulnerabilities that I find in applications are usually because of issues that have ex existed for years, right? Um, we'll, we'll talk about like, okay, you didn't update a specific software package and, or, you know, we know that it's out there, but me understanding that you are using, you know, some version of Pega or something like that tells me that there's a dashboard available that is never well protected, right? Um, and digging into the documentation and what else is available about XSLT in this case, or about the platform that you're looking at pays off in spades when you're looking for vulnerabilities and trying to secure software, because that's where developers often fall down. And it's not because the developers don't want to write secure code. It's often because they just don't know, right? Um, they're trying to push features out. They're trying to push an application out the door. They're doing that as quickly and as efficiently as possible, which doesn't always translate to, hey, I'm going to go look at all the security implications of using XSLT, right? Um, that's what is... That's your job as a security engineer, as a security reviewer, is understanding what the implications of the wider framework is of the wider environment that that application is being deployed in. And, you know, missing that is what leads to these sorts of vulnerabilities. And that goes back to the, you know, what is the process for your security review? How do you actually identify those threats? Do you understand the patterns that are going into the development of this software? Because if you don't, it's very likely that these sorts of vulnerabilities will exist in that. And it could be, you know, eight years before you actually find that again, or if somebody comes, somebody else comes back to it. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. And, you know, and that's the thing, even if like uh, you 
honestly, though, some, this is the other part of this that I'll just say, and I don't think a lot of people want to admit, I I may have a de- uh, an AppSec person on, on a team who I assigned to review this app. They may, they may even list in their methodology, and of course they should, that there's X, XML, uh, there's file uploads and XML parsing occurring. They're going to do a review and look for, you know, all of the weaknesses there. They may still not find this is my point. Yeah. A security person yeah. may still not find this it is, yeah. is absolutely a potential that could happen. Um, mm-hmm. And certainly has, yeah. right? So yeah. I don't see why I would look at an engineer and be like, you should have really thought more harder about this. <laughs> and then, and you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's always kind of a weird game that we play. Um, yeah. Well, so, it's, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's pulling these threads together, right? Of, oh, hey, look, XSLT is being used. There was this paper that was he, over here that we right. saw somebody actually do some analysis on um, and expecting a, you know, a security consultant or whoever to come in or a security engineer to come in and have that expertise in their back pocket and recognize that um, is also un, like, well, that's not a good out point. of the realm of this possibility, is, but it's, it's not unrealistic, right? Or it's what, this yeah. is a more practical checklist, right? To your point of what you just said, here is you're, you're introducing parsing of XML. Here's a change you're introducing. Yeah. Boom. Here's a list of things to be con- concerned about based off of these, the, incite your resources. Based off these resources, these are actual like the things that could go wrong. Just mm-hmm. be aware of that. And at least you can, you, and you could even put it in like a check, like a literal checkbox format. And you're like, hey, I looked at this. I looked at that. I, you know, I thought about this and I did, you know, I, in this case, I don't allow these these tags to, to come through for these reasons or whatever, right? Maybe, maybe that's a, a more realistic way to, to handle it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it also and using a checklist like approach. I mean, sorry. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, even if you look at that presentation um, from that OWASP meetup, right. Um, the, the libraries that are in use come into play, right. Like it, like connecting all of those dots um, to actually exploit the system or find the vulnerability is it's questionable on whether or not that's actually going to happen. Right. Um, without you know, the the right person at the right time looking at the code and making you know making those connections. Um, however, we can speed that up is great, um, and having the checklist will lead to that, or it'll make it easier. Uh, but it's still like the mistakes happen. People are human, right? Like they may they may skip over it. They may like the version that happens to be installed on whatever system that was provided to them may actually right? Like may not be vulnerable, right? Like there, there's, there's so many variables when it comes to identifying vulnerabilities that it's hard to say that a security person in that situation should in quotes actually be able to find that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is by the way, uh, some of some of this, some of this OWASP presentations in German too. So I'm sure you love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm going through it now. Right. Like, yeah. So if I, you know, if I get quiet, Oh, ich bin ein, HTML document. Yeah. Sweet, man. That's good stuff. These are data yeah. off the FTP, FTP server. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Also, like to viewers listening, you know, we've heard, okay, we've gotten feedback that uh, people like when we do uh, 
these breakdowns, but people like when we do interviews. And so uh, if you all have any uh, asks for things like, uh, you know, we, we always leave it open if you have a, a guest you want to see. We, I think most people know and have reached out with, with requests. But also that goes true for anything that you want to see a breakdown on. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's ever anything you want to see a breakdown on, want to have us walk through, just send it over. We'll, we'll do it. We'll try to fit it into the, the the next episode where we don't have a guest. Whenever we have a guest, it's a little tough to do breakdowns. Obviously, we, we spend the entire hour and that hour goes by very quick dedicated to that guest. But when it's just uh, the two of us, which we we try to have an evil, even sprinkling in there of just us and then guests. Uh, yeah, let us know. We'll, we'll do some analysis of things. Or if you want to yep. see... If there's tools. other stuff you want to see, more code review tools, whatever it might be, just let us know. We're always up for ideas. We've been doing this for what, like almost six years now, Seth, something like that. I don't know, five, uh, six years. Yeah, <laughs> five, six years. Yeah, yeah. I think we started so, 2018, right? Like the beginning of 2018. So, yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, for us, it's interesting to just walk through, right? Like even to remind us how it's actually how to actually run some of those tools i mean we've been doing it for a while like burp suite and other things right um like recently i was playing with the new bomba stuff in burp suite um you probably haven't played with that yet right the new um, ability to filter based on you know using java instead like more powerful filtering of um of your results or whatever's in the proxy, that kind of thing. Um, it's a pretty interesting, powerful tool that you can use, but anything like that, right? Like we're willing to step into, um, especially as we, you know, as we start to play um, in the LLM space as well, I think there's gonna be more of that coming specifically around secure code review. Um, I mean, I've been building GPT agents that will analyze like open source projects for patterns, I, I know we're going to get into more of that, like what your your experience has been, Ken, um, in the future. So, anyway, yeah, um, yeah I think that's it for struggle. today. Though. Yeah, the struggle and the troubleshooting is real, uh, but it, yes, it's it is. it's very fun. AI is going to be something special, man. Um, yeah. All right, but yes, just all right. Yeah, I just to all summarize, right. almost okay. six years on the air. We're never going to complain if more ideas of things to do on the podcast come to us. That's what I'll yes. say. Yep. So. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining today. Um, join Slack if you're not in there already. We'll continue the conversation there. I know Talos was already posting some stuff about security reviews and we'll continue the conversation. Um, and otherwise, we'll see everybody next week. Thank you. Thanks.